0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast built to help you think for yourself. The world wants to fill your head with all the things that you should believe and you should be doing, but we're just here to share biblical truths with you and allow you to make the decisions for yourself. We're not here to tell you what to think, but teach you how to think. And we can't do that without our very own Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas (laughs) Peak. Greetings
1: to all of you, my friends. Brothers and sisters, uh, confusion is what we've been talking about in this series called senseless. It's a study of the first letter written by the apostle John and sent to the churches in the latter half of the first century. Basically that means it was sometimes after about 65, 70 AD, and then he wrote the book of revelation in probably 94 AD. So it was somewhere in between that gap and. The reason he wrote it is because of this new belief system that had cropped up called Gnosticism. It was the development of a new religion, actually. But what made it confusing is these people recruited out of the Christian community, out of Christian churches, and they use Christian terminology. And so, his point in writing this letter is that confusion in your life uh, brings senselessness, and if you don't have a lot, if you don't have clarity on what you believe and why you believe it then you're going to experience a lot more senselessness in your life. And even though some of us lack clarity at times, there are specific things that we can believe and focus on that increase our clarity in life and decrease senselessness. Because life was not meant to be senseless. It was meant to be meaningful. It wasn't meant to be hopeless. It was meant to be hopeful.
0: Well, I think this this study of First John has been like, just really amazing to see the similarities between something that seems like it was so far ago mm-hmm. um i mean it was over almost almost 2000 years, years ago, ago mm-hmm. and we're seeing similar things pop back up so when all of our yeah. history teachers in school say well history's doomed to repeat itself if we don't learn <laughs> from it well it seems like we didn't learn our lesson the first time Is around that what your Nostis- history teacher
1: in high school sound like uh, uh, wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. yeah
0: very charlie brownie like wah, 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 wah. Um, no, but I mean, yeah. I think that's the most interesting part is, you know, sometimes it's really easy for us to go, well, everything that was happening back in Bible times is a Bible time issue, Yeah. but we're seeing these exact same things. Yeah. They have a different flair. There's more social media involved, obviously, than there used mm-hmm. to be in the, uh, 2000 years ago, but there's similar principles and they're still happening. So I guess my question is, is let's, let's talk about how John instructs the church on what it means to be part of a family of Jesus and how this is going to bring clarity into our life. Cause that's kind of the next step mm-hmm. in what he's talking about through first John, right?
1: Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is uh, we have a lot more technology. We, mm. we have a lot more industrial uh, capability, larger economy, tremendous affluence, tremendous healthcare. And so life for people living in America today is better than any society is known throughout all of history, but people are still people and we're still the same. And so we still go through and experience the same things. And in first John, what he says uh, is that you need to really clarify what you believe in chapter three really focuses on uh, understanding what it means to be a part of the family of God. Mm. And you see this in verse uh, one of chapter three, he says, see, What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So what we see here is some very specific themes, and that is is that we are now children of God. We are in the family of God, and we don't know what we are being made into, particularly after we pass away and on, We saw Jesus, he says, we saw Jesus raised from the dead and then he ascended. He says, we don't quite know what we will be made into, but we do know when Christ comes again, we are going to be made like him. And a lot of people misunderstand this. They're not trying to say we're going to be made into a God like he is because he's God and we're not. What he's saying is that you saw that he was now in the flesh. You could touch him. He ate, but he was eternal at the same time. He was eternal. And so we're going to be made into something like that. Right. You see, so that's what they're trying to say. And in, in, when you boil it all down, what these are, these are basically identity statements. This is what you're going to become because this is what you are and being transformed into. And when you understand that, this is, this is a very important phrase. Verse three, all who have this hope purify themselves. So even though in chapter one, he says you're, you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's not saying, oh, you're perfect now. But what he's saying is that once you put your hope in this thing, uh, who Christ is and how he is a resurrected living body and complete spirit and complete material at the same time, it's eternal, it's purified. And so what I want to do is I want to live towards that. That That is the goal of my life. Even if I don't measure up, I, I always want to live towards that. So, So these things have to do with our family identity. And your earthly family has the greatest impact on how you ask and answer the question of who you are, which helps then understand who am I in Christ.
0: Well, and I think... I mean, there's so many studies on this, but our earthly families really dictate a lot of who we are and who we become. Mm-hmm. I'm, I wouldn't say all of it because, I mean, there's lots of occasions where, you know, people make different choices, but a lot of it's because they make different choices because of what they experience when they're children. Yeah. It's I mean, they even, you know, there's this phrase, which I don't really love, but they use this like the trauma of childhood mm-hmm. kind of a thing mm-hmm. where it's like your family, no matter how amazing they are does influence you in some Mm -hmm. way, right? Whether Mm -hmm. positively or negatively. And I think a lot of that, when we think about that, you know, especially as I've turned, I'm you know, I'm a little over 30 now, I start looking back and I'm like, man, there's some stuff that happened when I was a kid that wasn't super great, but then there was a lot of stuff that was super awesome. But all of those things made me into who I am now that you can't Mm -hmm. see when you're there. And I think the phrase "children of God" sometimes for people that had a bad family experience are like, you know, I've had enough family. <laughs> like, <laughs> family is not really my thing. And so I think yeah. I think there there can be these negative connotations with family sometimes, depending on what your experience is. Sure. And so I I think it's I think it's so important that we really define that you know, just like love, God's family is perfect you know mm-hmm. his, him him he is the perfect father you know the rest of us kids you know we're we're, we're, hit, or we're, hit, or <laughs> we're hit or miss we're hit or miss we're hit or miss but he's perfect and he loves us unconditionally and so i think that that family aspect of who we are really influences us but that can also go the other way as being part of his family we can become better we can he can be a good influence and he can change us for the better as well. So it doesn't all have to be these negative connotations of, well, this happened to me when I was a child and this is why I am the way I am. We're a child of God forever. And once we really start living that way, we can start making serious improvements in our lives and he can really influence us.
1: And that's what was going on with the Gnostics. They were basically saying that you're in a corrupted world and there's really nothing you can do about the corruption of the world. And that's not the point anyway. So basically... It, it had a twofold implication. The first implication is you're a perpetual victim and you can't do anything to change that. Right. Right. And number two, you're not responsible for any choices you make.
0: Cause it's all, it's happened to you. Yeah. You're just, you're it's just a yeah. result of your environment and you're. Exactly. Operating.
1: Yeah. There's no real free will and everybody would do the same thing. And so what that did is that gave license. It gave permission to be irresponsible, to always feel like a victim and then use your your hurt. Yeah. Use your hurt to not only blame other people for the issues in your life, but uh, keeping you trapped in them, you see, and that, that's why he says here in chapter uh, two, beginning with uh, verse seven, he says, I'm sorry, verse four, he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So what he's saying is it doesn't matter how bad things were. You still have inside of you a sense of right and wrong. And when you violate your own conscience, that's lawlessness, right? He says, you know that he appeared so that we might, that he might take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Now, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning and no one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So this gets a little confusing, but John is basically saying this. Now, if if you were to live in the first century and you understood the claims of Gnosticism, then, and you spoke Greek, then this would make a lot more sense to you. You know, so let me help you. a lot you. of caveats. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, but yeah, well, some but things are just that's what you're tough. here for. That's you're why here, I'm here to, you're here to break down those caveats. I'm I'm here to be a guide. And that is, first, he's saying that sin is bad and there is no sin in Jesus, Now, earlier he said, we can't deny that we're sinners, as I said in in chapter one, verse eight, but if we continue to live in sin, we don't know him. So wait a second. I can't deny that I'm sinful, but I can't, if I live in sin, which I can't deny that I have, then I don't know him. That seems like a contradiction. It seems like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, basically here's what he's saying. Jesus came to set us free from the cancer of sin because sin kills your soul. We cannot say we have no cancer or no sin because this is a deception that keeps us locked in the death spiral. Mm. So see, so what we're saying is what is sin really is it's a death spiral. Jesus had to be sinless in order that when he gave his life, he could break the power of the death spiral. He conquered it, see, by breaking its power. Now, if we truly know Jesus, our life goal is to live, to leave the death cycle, the, the cancer that kills us and set ourselves on a growth path to be like him. And that's what, re- this is the essence of repentance is what he's describing. This is actual practical repentance. And that is, I may never be perfect, but I'm setting my sight on living towards this thing that Jesus is changing me into so that when I, especially when I come to the end of my life, I die, I fall asleep is the, is the terminology they used that I'm going to have this new body. Paul talks about it in second Corinthians chapter five and this new body. And so I, I want to be more in line with that than out of alignment with it. So that's what he's saying is that, is that that's what you should do. Now, if your life goal, and this is what the Gnostics taught is to use Jesus to make you feel less guilty or less regretful about doing whatever you want to do in life, then you never really got the point He's saying you never really knew him. You just didn't get the actual point. And that is, is that you want your cancer of the soul and you're still in in love with it. You're not in love with being free from it. So that's what he's saying in these uh, verses here, four, five, six, right before seven.
0: Well, and I think, I, you know, bringing up that point of like using Jesus to make us feel yeah. less guilty, I think that's the way a lot of our culture is going is we do this, um, you know, kind of fluffy church of, hey, we love you no matter what you do. Jesus loves you no matter what you do. And you can kind of just pick whatever, just, you know, make sure you're, you're happy. And you know, you repent occasionally for things that are like real bad. And like, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, it's like, we don't want you to feel guilty. We just want you to know you're loved. And Jesus does love you despite what you do. That is accurate, but they kind of put up these walls of like, or these, all this stuff of like, but you don't have to be held to account for anything you do because he'll just kind of magic it away. And he loves you so much that he'll just keep taking you back over over. Um, and over. And I, I
1: think this is the real struggle that millennials have, because what they've been told is God loves you no matter what, which is a factual statement. But it's also like when you have a four-year-old in your house, you say, daddy loves you no matter what. Daddy loves you no matter what. Right. Well, when that four-year-old becomes 14 years old, you say, daddy says, I love you no matter what, but you can't talk to your mom that way. Uh, I love you no matter what and you can't uh, not go to school. I love you no matter there's going to be consequences to those choices right You see and, and that's love that I'm loving you. Now if I didn't care, I wouldn't care. You right. go do whatever you, you go do whatever want. you want yeah but I do love you and, and that's the problem that American Christianity is faced and that's why you know almost 90% of people in America say they're Christians. Right, right. But only forty-nine percent even affiliate with a church now. All right, and only twenty to twenty-five percent actually practice their faith. So, what really what we have is called American spiritualism. Right. We don't have American. It's not uh, Orthodox Christianity at all, and that's really the rub. So.
0: Well, and I think what I love way more is this idea of the. God in the church or Jesus in the church being kind of this marriage union. And I had this really interesting Mm. revelation when I was in a small group a while back of like why, you know, we're told all the time he's just going to keep forgiving you. And they they use this imagery of a marriage. And I I think about it as this is it's like it's not that Jesus wants you to just do all of his rules and follow his rules and do these things just to make him happy. It's more of like in a marriage, not that I'm married, but my understanding is you do things for that other person because you care about them and love them. So it's not that he's like, you have to do these things. Um, otherwise, I'm going to be really grumpy and upset with you. You do them because you love him. You're showing him your love. You don't mm-hmm. go out and cheat on your partner because you love them. It's not a like you know big issue as far as like you're not murdering someone, but you choose not to do that because you love them. It's the same thing with... Choosing not to sin is you're choosing not to sin because you love Jesus enough to make those yeah. choices, right? And it yeah. breaks down into this: it's an act of love. It's not a he dictated these laws that we have to follow. It's a he said, "I don't want you to do this," and just like in a relationship, you said, "Okay, if that's what you want, I won't do that."
1: Because you 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 don't want a, a religion; you want a relationship, and that's really true in, in marriages and. You know, if you have two people that simply negotiate everything, well, you do this and I'll do that and I won't do this and you do that. And it's just, it's basically math. You know, there's no love. There's no passion. There's no real sense of, I want to know who you are and what you're thinking and what you need. And I want to build you up. I want to encourage you. And we use all these adjectives, but in essence, what we're saying is, oh, I want to find my soulmate, you know? Right. And what we're trying to get at is I want to be in alignment with you right i want somebody that i love and i'm bonded to and all the research says that when you're bonded to other people you're healthier you live longer you know everything else is just so much better when you're bonded and so satan is constantly trying to get married couples to debond right right and this is what john is saying is that you've been bonded with christ so live as a person who is in love with God. Right. Don't live as, okay, what are your rules? Can I follow them? So right. and he kind of picks up on this a little bit in verse seven. He goes, people are trying to lead you astray. Don't let them because the one who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So the devil is constantly trying to decouple, trying to lead people astray from this oneness with God. And if they can use religion to do it, like, well, God's just concerns about these rules. And if you don't follow these rules, then he's going to fight. Well, the problem with that perception is this, is that you don't have any alignment because there's no love. There's no relationship in that type of uh, contract. And so what God is interested in is freeing you from the influences of sin, the cancer of the soul. That's what he wants to do. Because when you do that, if you want to go out and fall in love with somebody and you want to have a great relationship with them and stuff like that, guess what? Sin screws it up. Right. Every single time righteousness builds it strong. So, so if we treat God as a rule book, as opposed of a relationship, then we never deal with those sinful tendencies that destroy things, even mm. in our closest relationships. Sin destroys companies. It destroys businesses. It destroys your, your financial world. It destroys your sexuality. I mean, it destroys everything. And the thing is, is that Jesus wants to set us free from that. And this is, this is interesting here, right? In verse eight, the reason that the son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Mm -hmm. That's why he came was to destroy the work of the devil. That's it right there. That's kind of the seminal point. And so in the family of God, you're learning how to love God and be a part of the family in order to destroy the work of the devil. And he goes on to say, if you are born of God, you're not going to continue to live in sin, meaning I'm not going to continue to live in the devil's destructive work in my own life and those around me. I'm not going to participate in it, right? Is He goes on to say, because they have been born of God. In other words, you've been changed. You've been born again, as Jesus said in John chapter three. This is how he goes on to say verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So notice what he's saying is that when people say, well, I'm really into God. I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. He's saying, well, then you don't understand the whole point of Jesus. Mm. See, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And the whole point is, is that by loving your brother and sister, being in community with them and that family, like you were saying that Jesus is a perfect f- father, he says, and then we can destroy the works of the devil, even in our own lives. The difficulty is, is if you've ever been a part of a church that didn't focus on Jesus and there's people in the church who become a part of the church and then they do the devil's work mm-hmm. inside the church, you know? And, um, you know, here's a little story. It's just, uh, I'll throw this off the top of my head. And that is back in, um, 2000, there was a guy from California and he was a pastor down there and he was looking for a job and we were in desperate need. The church at that time was going really fast. And it was pretty just me. And, and so he, he came up here and he interviewed really well. And so we hired him, you know, and we brought him on staff and uh, right after that, I mean, this is my fault. You know, I was, I was young and, and not very wise and, and you know how to onboard people and really vet people, you know, right. I'm too much of a luminary. I'm like, give people a chance, you know, trust the <laughs> Lord. And so, so he came on staff and, and he wasn't here, but two years and, and it started to really come out that he was fired from his last church and he had a problem with authority and he was about two years older than me, three years older. So he had a real problem with my authority. And after about two years that he was here, he tried to divide the eldership and he made false accusations against me. And, and then it took the elders a little bit to kind of figure out what was going on. So he's very divisive. And I remember when I told him, I said, I don't understand why you're doing this, you know. Cause I, I, cause I can, you know, have uh, crucial conversations before the, I don't understand why you're doing this, you know? Um, you know, I mean, you've only been here two years and now you're trying to, da, da, da. and he said, I have all these people at foothills who love me and follow me and I'm leaving and I'm going to take 300 people with me. And at that time our church was running about 500 people, you know? And so, so he left, you know, and he tried to be really divisive. And what's really interesting is about 60, 70 people left the church, but only 20 people went with him and he tried to start another church. And basically those 50 people that they just were like, yeah, I, uh, I thought church was supposed to be a place where, you know, Jesus is King and we love each other and work our problems out. And so what's interesting is what this guy did is he did the work of the devil. And I don't have any problem saying that what he did was evil it was the work of the devil. And what he did is he, he pushed out of the kingdom of God, the church, 50 people, 50 souls, right? And he went over there to start another church. And to this day in this treasure valley, that church has been a dead church. Mm. It's not done anything to this day. And people who go there and leave that church say it was a toxic experience. And, and God, I don't think is ever going to bless that work right? Until he comes back and repents of his sin. When he repents, you see, then he'll be able to do the work of God and he'll have God's favor on what he's doing now. But right now that church is just used to provide him an income. That's all it is. And it's got maybe less than a hundred people in it. And it's really sad, you know, and, uh, uh, until he repents of his sin, it's never gonna be blessed by God. And I feel bad for people that, are, that uh, fall under that. So that's what he's talking about in this verse, is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so our goal is not to do what we want and use Jesus to feel better about ourselves. Our goal is to be free in Christ so that the goal of being redeemed is not to create more rules to live by, it is to be in love with God, to know him as our king and as our friend, as our leader and confident who is, who is molding and shaping us into this really wonderful thing. Now, can I live my whole life and say, I serve the king? Yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm going to grow. It doesn't mean I'm going to be mature. It, it doesn't mean I'm going to have a strong, powerful, confident, courageous faith. It doesn't mean I'm going to be an overcomer. You know, I can, I can just have this miserable existence constantly filled with uh, regret and disappointment and maybe even spiritual depression. Or we can choose to follow Christ completely.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about how our faith really is relational. I, you brought this up a little bit earlier mm-hmm. when we were talking about um, people's decisions on how they live their faith. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that idea that it's relational and that it's... it's our, our Christianity is very different from what most other religions are. And mm-hmm. that's what they are. They're religions, right? You know, you, how do you know someone's chic? They, they, they yeah. have the headdress. The, yeah, The Sikhs have that really wrap. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, uh-huh. sorry.
1: Sikh. Yeah. <laughs> Sikh.
0: <laughs> uh, how do you know a woman is Muslim by her veil or burqa and their diet? Um, Jewish uh, by their diet or their yarmulke. Yeah. Uh, the Hindu by their dress and their diet. Um, mm-hmm. You have all of these different things that kind of identify people's religions pretty easily from the outside. But how do you know someone's a member of the family of God? And, and that really comes down to who they know, mm-hmm. who they follow and their attitude towards those people, right? Yeah. yeah. is what it really is. And so I think John kind of finishes up kind of talking about that, what what it really is, right? To yeah. to be a, a family in Christ, not just following a religion.
1: Yeah, there's no Christian haircut, you know. Right. There's no Christian, you know, dietary laws that you have to
0: not Follow. that I'm
1: aware of. Yeah. So there's not even a specific kind of Christian music you have to listen to or so forth. And that's why, in ver- yeah, he says this in verse 11. He says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's how, you know, Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by your haircut, your music, your food. No, he says, by your love for one another. Right. That's really the key. He says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, this is what's really important is, uh, we'll apply this more on Thursday, but you know that you're not loving or you're not in love when things are dying around you. You know, things are dying around you. Anyone, verse 15, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing with him. The point of being redeemed by Jesus is to align your life with the way your life was meant to be. And the peace with God brings peace to your soul. And the peace in your soul brings meaning, purpose, and direction to your life. And it allows you to love. And that's really a critical point.
0: Well, and I think love's really important, that key yeah. word, because, I mean, the way people define love today is about as fluid as they identify genders <laughs> at yeah, this point. Yeah, like, it is, what yeah. love is, what it's supposed to be. What? How can we know what real love is? Where should we be looking yeah. for that? Yeah.
1: Well, he says, this is how we know what love is in verse 16. This is how you know. So that's a really great question. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So so what I think is really interesting is that t- in today's world we'll talk a little bit more about this on Thursday. Today people are trying to say like you said the fluidity of def- definition of love is love is a f- is you affirming whatever I think I am. Right. I don't know a single parent that has done a good job of raising an infant into a good human being has employed that philosophy.
0: Always just affirming what they want to do and Yeah. All the time,
1: all the research out there says that that is the worst possible way to raise a child. You can do make believe with children and have fun with children, but it is always indicative upon the parent to say, this is who you are. And that's what, that's what love is, is, is that, Oh, Jesus laid down his life for us. This is what real love is. And so it's sacrificial in nature. It's not affirmational in its nature when it comes to people's choices, no matter what they are. It is prophetic. It's apostolic. It's truth oriented in regard to the path to God and fullness in life. And then it is sacrificial in achieving that goal. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Christianity in Western civilization has been the most charitable uh, movement in the history of the world. Absolutely bar none. There's nothing that even comes close to it. Even today in America, it's really interesting because some people like to say that the American government doesn't give a lot for world tragedies and stuff like that. Well, part of the reason it doesn't do that is because when you add in the, the private donations to things, like there was a tsunami in India, there's earthquakes, you know, that happen in the Philippines and other places. When oh, yeah, you look at the Puerto Rican, yeah, uh, the, hurricane. the hurricanes, you look at all that kind of stuff. And that is, is that there's that Americans, predominantly Christian Americans give more money than other nations give. Hmm. Sometimes they will give more money than even the United States, which is the richest nation out there gives. And I hate to say it, but China gives zero zip, nada, just as comparison. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important to understand is that, you know, verse 18, he concludes dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So being in a family is what gives you the capacity to know what words mean. And the family of God is designed to help you understand what real love is. And the family that you are a part of is never going to be perfect. The church is never going to be perfect, but never once did Jesus say, follow my people. Right. He always said, follow me.
0: So well, let's kind of wrap up. We're, we're near the end today, but um, I know there was a few more verses we had talked about getting to. Um, so let's talk about what we need, to, how we need to learn what real love is, um, especially like I think by being a family of God as opposed to listening to what the world says love is. How yeah. how do we learn that?
1: Well, it's really interesting in verse nineteen, he says, "This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything." Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So he repeats the golden rule in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, where Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. But notice what he says. If our hearts condemn us, We know that God is greater than our hearts. So what he's saying there is that when it comes to the definition of love, be very careful of just trusting your own heart, right? You better trust Jesus first and let him define what real love is. And so I think, and when you let that happen, he says, as your heart does not condemn you, we have more confidence before God and we receive whatever we ask. And so our ask changes, our, our blessing changes, our, you know, these things change because we're more in alignment. And it says, all of this comes together in verse 20, at the end of 23, he said, or 24, it says, we know all of this because he lives in us by the spirit he gave us. So the Holy Spirit is within us doing its thing. And so it's a beautiful thing to be a part of the family of God because it gives you an opportunity to discover what real love is and in order to, and then really grow through the negative effects of sin and dysfunction so that you can become the person you were meant to be.
0: Well, I think that's a great place to end off for today. We're going to talk more about this on Thursday, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and I'm excited for that. But I just encourage you guys make sure you're reading these these passages. Um, we covered First uh, John 3, 1 through 24 today, kind of in this Bible study. So I just really encourage you guys to be, um, Pastor Doug has done this multiple times where he talks about you guys should be trying to read through these as we're going through these series on books. Try to read through those books as many times as possible. I This morning while I was on my walk with my dog, I just turned on the Bible app and had it read it to me. So I, I, did, the, I did the easy mode where I could just, and what's fun is I've been rotating um, translations as yeah, I've been listening yeah. through. So you kind well, ignore- of get something a little bit different. I mean, you get all the translations for free on the Bible app. You don't have to pay for them. So it's like, you know, I've done the NIV, I've done the NLT, the English Standard. You mean you can get through a couple different, especially this book's not that long. yeah. So it's like you can make a couple rounds. If we were doing like a study of like Luke, then yeah, you might be a little harder to get through those. But these shorter ones, I think you can really get a lot out of just listening to them multiple times and then even in multiple translations as well. So yeah, I encourage you guys to be doing that um, as we're going through these. We're only in this for a couple more weeks before we're on to our next series for the summer. Um, But I encourage you guys to listen to those, have conversations about what we're talking about. You know, take what we're talking about, go out and have a conversation about it. Because one, that's going to reaffirm what you got out of it and what you're thinking about and your mm-hmm. beliefs. But two, it starts a conversation with someone who maybe isn't listening and isn't having those thoughts and that can start a really interesting interaction. so mm-hmm. thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you on Thursday here on the Blessings!